Sex Communication, a podcast that explores how we communicate during sex and about sex, with explicit recordings and uninhibited conversation. My name is Brianne McGuire, founder of Graphic Paint and host of this uncensored adventure. Join me each week as I share crowdsourced audio files and interview a wide range of people about their private activities. The mission of this series is to change attitudes towards sex simply by changing the way it's communicated, one episode at a time. Sexy, sexy, sex stuff. Sex. Welcome to the first episode of Sex Communication. You're about to hear an interview with an old friend and former fetish wear model turned modest dresser. We discuss her history with the BDSM community, our private sex interests, and how outward appearance may or may not correlate to sexual habits and attitudes. And at the very end, we dabble a bit into some taboo conversation about the complicated nature of lingering attractions to men accused of sexual assault. Let's get into it. So hello, Lee. Um, welcome to the podcast. Uh, this I'm not sure what number episode this is going to be, but um, we were going to start our conversation with a discussion about modesty and how that does or does not translate or correlate to how you may be in bed. Um, so welcome. How are <laughs> <Yeah>. you? <laughs> I'm well. Um, so I think to start off, I think that the appropriate like disclaimer is that like modesty is something that I've chosen to do with my body. Um, and it's not a value judgment on how other people, um, like exhibit themselves in the world or how they portray themselves in public. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that I'm really conscious of is that like sometimes when we have these conversations in well, when other people have conversations about modesty, they make it about what other people should be doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I really don't have um, like a, a personal feeling about what other people need to do with themselves. Well, that's good because I'm just interested in your own positions. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> you've been like very, um, you know, supportive with this project. And I know you were kind of like, whatever you want to talk about, um, I'm up for. So yeah. um, I did pick this conversation topic specifically because I do know you in personal life and I do know you to be a very modest dresser. Um, but I also have had conversations with you where you've mentioned, you know, in the past, like you were a fetish wear model, right? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, I yes. mean, when I'm, I'm so, curious um, how that, that transition happened. <laughs> well, I gotta say, um, I think that for, for me specifically, I did, you know, I did fetish stuff in, um, a certain point in my life when I was like living in a certain place, living like a certain lifestyle, um, and was totally happy doing that. And, um, I, th <laughs> I think that there's a difference for me about how I want to live my everyday, like nine to five life and how I want to sometimes make money. Hmm. Um, and so if somebody offers me money, to do something that I'm comfortable with. Um, and in this case, it was just be a booth babe, essentially, um, at a convention. I was totally happy to take money to um, 
do that because it didn't, uh, it didn't have to go outside of the realms of that convention. And I was also, you know, in my very early twenties, um, maybe 21 and, you know, and younger. And so the choices I was making were, um, maybe just like a little bit more day to day choices about how I was going to like have a little spending money. Understood. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I mentioned to you before we hit record, you know, I've been um, like trolling around, not trolling, that's the wrong word. But um, so I joined FetLife because uh, somebody had made that recommendation as like, you know, this would be a good resource for this project because I'm discovering that yeah. um, the people that I know in real life are like, I guess, I don't know, it, it's like really making me reevaluate like what my um, my own perspective on like what's prudish or what's subversive is, you know, and I'm realizing like I'm on this site that's, you know, billed as this social media market, not marketplace, but like a platform for people with kinks and fetishes, which I never really identified in that way, but it's like being in that space and like following certain chats and joining groups is like, I guess this is where I should have been the whole time and it just is kind of funny, but it's also like creating these opportunities to, to um, explore some things that like I'm totally open to doing and like it really creates yeah. a sense of a safe place to do that kind of like within the confines of the convention. And it's really like, I don't know, I guess, it, it's, but it's just one of those things like the way that it exists in kind of this very, um, specific place just makes me very aware of how people are outside of that space, you know, like outside of the convention and outside of this site. And, um, yeah, it's just, yes. Interesting. So like, I've actually, I've been, um, I had an account on FetLife and I've been to like the fetish fair in Rhode Island a few years ago. And, you know, I have like a long and storied history with, alternative um sex positive resources Mm. and so my choice to dress modestly is about something about how I feel um and I think that that not necessarily is a fetish but it does um encapsulate like a pretty good sense of who I am as a um an archetype in my sex life. Mm. And so, you know, um, I didn't, I didn't start dressing modestly for anyone but me. Um, and it wasn't that, you know, somebody said, Oh, this is what you have to do. Um, and (laughs) somebody said that this is what I had to do and I didn't listen. But, um, when I decided to like sort of reevaluate what I was doing with myself publicly, um, as far as my body, I was doing that because that was an informed decision I was making as a mid twenties adult. Um, and not because, you know, my, you know, grammar school told me to, or whatever, you know? Yeah. So has your private life, like however you approach sex or like, however you would characterize your sex life, do you feel like that has shifted as your outside appearance has shifted or has there been um, zero relation? So I think that 
in in relation to who I am as a being that has sex parts, um, I think that it generally has been the same sort of um, style. Like I'm, I'm still like very submissive in my private life. I'm mm. still like super, um, you know, eager to please in my private life. Uh, but what I'm not doing, which I was doing when I was younger is being like publicly a tasty treat. Um, I sort of just like have this separation between who I am as a, you know, a sexual being versus what I'm doing when I'm walking down the street. Mm. And I prefer, I feel, um, I feel like more comfortable not advertising my predilections and my habits because a, I don't want to be like taken advantage of by like domineering creepos who don't deserve, you know, my attention. Um, but also it's just like, I feel, um, empowered, I guess is the word. Um, when I'm, dressed in a more modest fashion. Hmm. Makes sense. Do you, so when you describe being, uh, you know, that you characterize yourself as being submissive in bed, I mean, do you, do you mean that in a way that's kind of like what the average person might consider to be submissive or do you mean it more in like a BDSM role where it's like a specific. Oh, um, <laughs> way more in the fetish land, like, uh, gosh. Um, at one point I was like wearing a, like an everyday wear collar. Mm -hmm. Um, so like the average person wouldn't be able to clock it as a collar, but like if you were specifically paying attention to color codes in the S&M world, maybe you would. Um, I was trained with like a dog clicker. <laughs> <laughs> like very like seriously like a dog clicker like I can't hear one now without being like <laughs> called to attention and like you know like I'm very like I'm not like hanging out in dog parks without like having like a serious reaction um so yeah I like I had a very intense um for better or for worse like S&M mind play sort of game that was happening with my college boyfriend. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, not, not your like everyday, like, you know, lay down for missionary on submissive. Sunday kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what I, I think all. of when I think of like a, like a vanilla everyday kind of submissive, like whatever, anyone's stereotype of like a, a, like a flaccid woman in bed or something. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> um, no, no, not like a, not like a, like a limp uh, pillow queen. Sort of, which didn't, you know. doesn't jive at all with my impression of you. I don't want you to think that that was what I no. was like, this is Holly. No, I totally did. But I just wanted to clarify like what, you know, cause different language means different things to different people, but 
Um, so, so that level of submission though, is that something still in play in your current relationship? Cause you're, you know, you're engaged now officially, or are you already married? Like yeah. what is your, I'm engaged. I like live full time as a housewife. <laughs> um, and I'm like of service to my partner, you know, 24 hours a day as you know, in that like sort of capacity as like, I did a bunch of laundry today and like vacuumed the floors and <laughs> dusted. And, um, but I think our dynamic is way more um, egalitarian when it comes to stuff like uh, intimacy. I think it's way more um, uh, <clears throat> I, I, equal and balanced as far as like a power dynamic. Um, one of the things that I had an issue with was um, I ended up being in these situations where I was the submissive one and I was the, the you know, the sub in all these ways. And that included being mistreated in a way that wasn't conducive to my mental health. Mm. Um, and so you know, we got into these, like, he, he with the capital H E, you know, got to be doing whatever he wanted with, um, and this is not a reflection of the entire community. This is a reflection of the specific relationship I was in, um, got to do just whatever he wanted without regard to any of, you know, my lowercase M Y feelings, um, or safety or anything like that. So, um, the relationship I'm in now is, I guess, you know, to an S and M world, very vanilla to a non S and M world, you know, kind of out there, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's less, um, it's less, there's less on power play dynamics in the everyday. Um, and it's sort of just saved for, you know, certain aspects of our lives. Do you, I mean, would, um, well, I guess my question is kind of based on personal experience too, because, um, like I also, I don't know that I, dress as modestly as you do, but I do dress fairly modestly, but I've always felt that, um, despite putting on a kind of buttoned up appearance that certain types of men have been able to kind of like sniff out my subversion. Um, and kind of like throughout my whole life, like even in times when like I wasn't as uh, thoughtful about how I was presenting myself, which is not to say like I was ever, I've never had like a hoochie phase, but um, I don't know. (laughs) It's like, it's just been really strange to me. The kind of guys that I wind up attracting that never, I can never tell off the bat that they, you know, are the the kind that are a dom, you know, and and I don't, I, I don't know. It's just curious to me, like, what is that vibe that I'm putting out or what is it that they're picking up on? So it just makes me wonder, like, with the relationship you have now, do you feel like um, an element of that was kind of in play? Like, he 
there's something appealing to him about like a submissive element to your personality? Did he sense that? Like how much did he know about your past going into it? Like, did you wait to discuss like the level of submission and, and play that you've done in the past? Like how, how did all that kind of work itself out in your relationship? Well, all right. So with general people in the outside world, I think a lot of people, they're not actually sniffing out my predilections. They're throwing a lot of stuff out there and seeing what sticks. Um, in my experience, I think the, you know, one of, one of the things that, um, I think has protected me from like some serious sickos is, um, or sometimes protected me from serious sickos, let's be honest, um, (laughs) is, uh, a certain level of like really harsh boundaries, like really harsh, like get the fuck away from me. We don't have that kind of relationship. You haven't earned that. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I, I can think of a number of experiences in, in my life where men sort of made this presumption that I was going to let them objectify me um, because that's what I'm into. But the reality is, is I'm the gatekeeper of who I let into that world. Um, And not everyone earned like hall pass really. And as far as my partner goes, I don't, I can't say what he knew going in or what he thought. Um, we were pretty open about some of our past stuff, but I think a lot of like my weird college day stories have just sort of slowly tumbled out over time. Yeah. Um, and to his credit, he, I think he's a very confident individual without being, you know, a jerk. And so I can sort of tell this like cheeky story about this time that X, Y, and Z happened with a former fling or an ex partner or, you know, the man I used to be married to or whatever. And he, um, he doesn't care because Mm -hmm. it's not a competition. He knows, um, who he is as an individual without having to be, um, cross about who I was before I met him. Um, and I think that's a lot to his credit of like, he's like, yeah, you did some stuff that you wouldn't do now and would be really, you know, upsetting to me if you did now. Um, and it doesn't bother for him. And I think that's the, that's a lot to who he is as a person at the core. Hmm. Um, and I can't like, I can't be more grateful for that because I can tell you that my list of people that I have had sex with quadruples what he does and has and who he's been with and what he's done. And he's like completely like he had his first kiss with his first wife um, (laughs) or, you know, basically the equivalent of um, not exactly that extreme, but you know, pretty much he's wholesome in comparison to the like crazy sort of dalliances I've had. And, um, I think what's important is that at no point has he ever been, um, 
unhappy about who I was before he knew me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we're talking like, I believe that I'm number six for him. Wow. Uh, and I don't think that I, the, the last time I was at, you know, six was, I was a teenager, you know, <laughs> like a long time ago for me. Um, and that's not a point of shame for myself. And it's not a point of, um, upset for him. Mm-hmm. And so as far as what he knew when he knew it, I can't really speak to that. I think it's, um, it's probably a mix of like he knew some at the beginning and he didn't know some until, you know, two days ago, who knows? <laughs> um, but the, the reality is, is that thank God we don't have relationships only based on our interest in having sex with each other. Right. Um, and that has gotten me to trouble in the past. So, you know, now, is that Take the, that for what you want. Well, I mean, it, that's a curious point because um, it's something, I don't know, it's, I don't know if this is something that I've, I feel like I faced because I'm a woman and despite as much progress as it seems there has been made in regards to sexuality and just freedom, like I still feel um, really judged about my position, um, my positions regarding sex and specifically like how open I am in talking about it. Um, and it always surprises me, especially when it involves men that like have been often way, way more prolific in their sexual partners than I have. And yet they're, you know, it it just, the judgment, it just is really surprising to me, but, um, it makes me, I just lost my train of thought, but while, (laughs) while you were describing your relationship, um, so given the, the, the kind of the difference in your, your sexual histories, do you, I mean, and this kind of speaks to, you know, like what are people able to sense about us and what are we able to sense about them? Like kind of on these invisible cues that we may not be aware of. Like, do you, do you think somewhere deep down that, um, there's something about your partnership, like he has the potential to be much more subversive. Like you guys are, are, um, like that maybe was part of the attraction and that just given how kind of fresh he is that at some point, I don't know, like five, 10 years from now, like, I don't want to use the word groom, but I mean, do you foresee him like developing into, um, someone more kinky? Is that, are you interested in that? I mean, what are your feelings about that? Do you suspect that's a possibility or it's, it doesn't seem... I think that the way I, the way I experience uh, this relationship is that um, I'm satisfied having, you know, sort of sitcom 50s sex with this person. I'm like happy and I enjoy the like, you know, the sort of um, the vanilla run-of-the-mill missionary sex. I find that enjoyable. I enjoy being with this person. Um, and I don't feel like I'm lacking anything. And so if something evolves and if it changes and if it gets 10 years from now, I'm having a different sexual relationship with this person. The point is, is that we're satisfied with it. And the point is, is that we enjoy, um, where we're headed together as a couple. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
who's to say that, you know, he doesn't become a paraplegic and our sex life evolves in that way or whatever. You know, there's so many um, ways that a adult relationship can, you know, mutate over the years, good and bad. And so I think for me, what comes down to it is, do I feel seen in this relationship um, emotionally and sexually? And so what has become, I think, the most important thing to me in my romantic attachments is this man, my fiance, is having sex with me as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've never had that before. He... You know, not in this way. Uh, he's aware of who I am as an individual, not um, something he wishes I was or a hole in a mattress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that has become the most intriguing and sexy, like, part of my relationship with this human is... Um, I, it's something I've never had. I've never even thought it was a thing that happened. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, uh, you feel seen so, and kind of understood. Yeah. I feel. Um, and okay. So this is, he, he looks at me when we have sex. Yeah. And like, that was super weird for me. I was like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> Don't look at me. And he's like, no, I like you. Like you're the person I'm here with. And that was like, absolutely foreign to me Hmm. um you know so I think whatever it is as long as we both feel seen and we feel that um our needs are being met who cares right you know I, I as we were going over this last bit I did recall um the thought that was sparked in the other part of the conversation, which was um, kind of like the role or, or the amount of importance that um, you place on sex in a relationship. Um, I identify very much with what you're saying about like the experience of being with somebody that um, that you feel like you're you're having sex like with each other as people, and you know this idea of being seen and that feeling and that kind of respect and that that. Um, being able to connect in that way. Um, but it also makes me think about, um, and again, like, you know, we can only speak from our own personal experience, but it's been one of those things. Like I know you're sex positive and I'm sex positive. And for me, it's like that functions in terms of how I relate to people, um, sexually and romantically, as far as like, I feel like I, I've got a pretty strict boundary um, of what I'm willing to settle for um, in regards yeah. to a relationship and, like, sexual compatibility. Like, for for me, you know, at the risk of sounding like it's the most important thing, I don't feel like it's the most important thing, but it's definitely probably, like, the biggest area of potential deal breaker stuff, (laughs) you know, like size and just like physical chemistry and, um, you know, and I like to think that often, you know, how you relate to somebody 
completely out of out of the area of sex like speaks a lot to how you'll relate once you get to the sex part but it's not always the case and it's just you know it makes me question like am I a psychopath or a sociopath that I put such a, a um so much not emphasis but just like you know I mean if I'm really being honest with myself like I mean because I've had relationships before where I had such intense interaction to the other person we related to each other well like the chemistry with like everything on paper was good everything like in person was good but then it was like the guy's dick was just too small and I felt like you know I for two weeks I I put up like because we actually had spent a lot of time dating before we got to the sex part because he was aware of my my size uh standards and was trying to like hold that off as long as possible so that by the time we started sleeping together we'd already been dating for maybe two months and it was just like I think I lasted two weeks and it was just like I can't do this and you know there are other times too where it's like this person is a great person. We have a lot of potential. I feel understood and, and, you know, appreciated and respected. And it's like, if we just don't jive sexually, like, yes, there are things that can be approved upon and things that can be learned, but there's also like a base level of, of physical compatibility. I think that is just like, if it's not there, like it doesn't matter how good the other stuff is. Like I I will (laughs) walk away. Make certain things happen. Yeah. Uh, I there's so much that you said that I have to like sort of work backwards. Um, <laughs> so first of all, I don't think that people with psychopathy question whether or not they're psychopathy. <laughs> psychopathy. Um, I don't think that people are concerned if whether or not they're doing things that hurt other people if they have that sort of personality disorder. Um, well, that's so, very comforting. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I actually think I can say that with some, some knowledge behind it. Um, so I do place a value on, uh, sex and sexual chemistry and, um, you know, there are things that I want to have and get out of a relationship sexually that I expect. And, um, I agree that there are things that can be improved upon. There's also just times where I'm like, I'm out. This doesn't do anything for me. Like you give way better talk than you give head, (laughs) you know, like I'm out, like just I'll see you later. Um, you talk of a game, but you know, and I think that it's okay to want certain things from a partner. I think it's acceptable to be like, hey, I think you're a great person, but for whatever reason, I don't like having sex with you and I can't get past that. And that doesn't make me a bad person. And that makes me a person that realizes that I'm going to have, you know, uh, a libido for majority of my life. And, and that libido may shift and it may change, but it's going to be there. And so if I'm going to couple up with somebody, I'm not going to want to couple up with somebody that I'm like, you don't put in the time. Or this is like, you know, like getting a root canal. 
so, you know, <laughs> I guess um, I I don't think there's anything to be apologetic for when it comes to being like, yeah, I'm a person that has sex needs. Um, I think that unfortunately, there's probably like, listen, I'm not a you know a soft science expert. I'm not like Kinsey. I have no idea about um, you know the social you know entomology or etymology or whatever the word is about you know how people pick mates or um, have satisfying relationships. I do think that there are a number of disparities on how men, you know, expect women to be or what men, you know, feel the level of empowerment women are supposed to have, or, you know, there's a, a lot of people that will talk a really good, like, you know, Oh, whatever you've, conquested more conquests but they can't like hold up to that right you know on a on a day-to-day basis and um and that's that's for them to figure out for themselves but i'm not required to there and unpack that with someone else um you know i'm not it's not my job to work out for somebody they're low level of self-esteem or their feelings of, you know, emasculation because I have a history. Like that's not my business. Um, you know, you can pay me $175 an hour for me to talk to you about your fucking mental health problems, (laughs) but I'm not there to work that out for somebody else. Either you've got it or you don't. And, um, you know, I think that as as a female, I have, you know, unpacked a lot of my um, feelings about sex and sexuality in therapy with a professional. And um, I'm not going to get, like, sort of the short end of the stick by being with a person that needs me to do that for them. Mm. I just can't, you know. So when you, I, uh, oh no, go ahead. This is just, a, <laughs> just a strange aside. I I knew a man who had a a tendency, good or bad, you know, right or wrong, to um, engage with prostitutes and visit sex workers. But for whatever reason, I was not allowed in our um, courtship to talk about my past at all because that made him feel some sort of way Hmm. but like I knew very well that this man had paid for sex and this was a you know not a constant topic but this was something that was like brought up and it was like you know the disparity in how we treat this me having a long-term romantic relationship with someone else and you visiting a prostitute um they're not the same and to treat my relationship as more taboo is bizarre to me. Yeah. I would agree. I don't know what made me think of that. (laughs) There you go. It's fine. There you go. Uh, So with your current relationship, do you, 
um, and I know like we're, you know, this is, I'm asking you to kind of hypothesize like the mindset of your partner, but so just knowing now that, um, like he's had considerably less experience in terms of like number of partners and like variety of sexual experiences than you, do you think that, um, he read your your style of dressing, like your level of modesty as an indication that, um, like you may have had that in common. Have you? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think that from my best guess of my partner, it is not an issue and it probably never crossed his mind one way or the other, um, before we met and started like swapping narrative. Um, and I think that's because his ego isn't, you know, wrapped up in, I've slept with this number of women. Um, my feeling is, is that's probably not a thing that crossed his mind in the least Mm -hmm. before meeting me or after learning a little bit about my history. Um, so think that if anything um the way I dress sort of didn't I'm not saying didn't register but wasn't like a huge thing for him either way and what is the what is the state of affairs with the collars do you still have them do you still wear them um <laughs> uh, so I had I would I had a collar that um a former partner gave me at the time I called him master. Um, he is no longer my master. So I no longer wear that collar. Um, and (laughs) you know, I, I think of, um, that time in my life fondly, but I also don't think that I need to be so literally collared at this point in my life, though I am going into a legal collaring <laughs> of a sort in a few months. So yeah. you know, check back with me and I'll tell you how I feel about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So given your own history with, you know, dress and like kind of that very extreme range of, you know, dressing very modestly now to like having that experience with being a fetish model, like when you, are out and about and you see other women that dress in a similar way to you, do you, uh, ever think like, I wonder if that, that lady is like an active sub or, I mean, does it, does it not even cross your mind? Or I mean, like what, how does it affect how you perceive or not even perceive necessarily, but I mean, like, I guess just, does it ever spark that curiosity, you know, like just because, like appearance and dress has kind of had an actual role in, you know, your sexual experience and your sexual history. Like, I'm just curious, like how, how in a day-to-day life, especially now that you're kind of, you know, you're in a different place with it, like, does it still color your perception of other women or even men, like not even, or taking gender out of the equation, just in general? So I guess the, when I was living in New York, I would see other women dressed similarly to me, and I'd be like, oh, I can tell that you're 
a modern Orthodox Jew. I can tell that you uh, probably are participating in this level of religious, you know, uh, engagement. And that being said, I think that, um, one of the, one of the sort of interesting perspectives, uh, on that world is, oh, these people are like asexual, mm-hmm. um, where that's in fact not the case, um, or that, you know, sex is just a chore where that is in fact not the case. Um, and I don't know if I've ever thought of it specifically of, you know, who knows this person um, could have this secret life. Uh, I do, however, ha- I have a friend of mine who, who um, he works in the trade uh, union and he was telling me a story about how one day he was at work and a buddy of his had some sort of work-related incident where I guess his pants got torn off um, or parts of his pants got torn off and he was revealed to be wearing women's undergarments. Mm. And, um, you know, this is like a, a big burly guy who, you know, does like union shit, you know, for his, you know, state and stuff like that. And it's, uh, not like what you'd expect. And I think that that is essentially how that's like the parable about how I think about people's sexuality. Like you just don't know. Um, and he's like, you know, that doesn't make him any less of a man or if that's, you know, how he chooses to be. I think he actually did identify as a man who liked wearing women's undergarments. That's also none of my business at the end of the day. Like, um, I think that how I present and how I'm like um, publicly is, you know, that's for public consumption and what I'm privately is my business. And so, you know, I kind of think that there's, there's a lot to be like this um, DMZ when it comes to what I do with my body. Um, and what I can put out there is, you know, sort of just like, leave me alone. Like, <laughs> you're not welcome here. And, you know, my private life is my private life. And, you know, I certainly wear different levels of modesty when I'm home by myself with my partner, you know? <laughs> yeah. So is your, the way that you dress, because you, you are Jewish, do you consider yours, are you Orthodox or you're not, or not even practicing? No, no. no I have a, a twisted, uh, strange narrative with religion. My mother is not Jewish. My father is. Um, I converted when I was... Um, younger, I don't know what year I was, um, you know, 17, 18. Um, and I dated in high school and some of college, a Orthodox man. Mm -hmm. And it was a big secret and nobody knew about it. And I was, um, I, I don't know how it's just, describe it. I was cosplaying as an Orthodox Jew. Hmm. So, um, 
in order to be able to go into his family home, I had to look a certain way. Um, his parents knew I wasn't Orthodox. They didn't care, but I had to like look a certain way for us to like spend time together. And, um, so I would like get all dressed up as if I was Orthodox had like this passing privilege of being an Orthodox woman and people would just assume that we were, um, you know, match, you know, there was a match made and like we were courting. Um, and I just, I found that if I dressed modestly, I had like enough, you know, like covered up and was quiet and, you know, polite. So people didn't question if I was Orthodox, they just assumed you're dressed up like that. You must be that. Mm -hmm. Um, and it did actually play a huge role in how I saw my attire as a sexual being and um, how I saw how I dressed myself. And so I got treated differently in the world if I was sort of buttoned up and if I was, you know, um, very modest and, you know, sort of had this, um, you know, black and white, you know, very low-key modern Orthodox sort of slant to how I dressed. And it actually got people to leave me alone. Yeah. And so when I was out of that relationship, I, you know, I'm not thinking in this orthodox, gotta fit in sort of way. I'm thinking, and I just want to be left the heck alone. Um, and I was able to attain that by being super modest and, what I took away from that situation is a, I don't want to be an Orthodox Jew um, (laughs) because this just doesn't jive with me, especially not in that relationship with that man. Um, But I do get a certain level of privilege when I dress a certain way. Mm. And and I feel a certain level of safety when I dress a certain way. And I'm not condoning the fact that men, behave a certain way towards women when they're dressed, you know, in beach clothing. But I've never been hit on on a beach because I'm dressed from, you know, my clavicle to my knees. And I think, you know, there's something to be said for that. And it doesn't condone, like, toxic behavior, but it does say that um, people play, like, give me a blind eye. And that gives me a privilege of like, just being able to live my life. Yeah. Um, being less scared. I'm not saying that, you know, people that are modestly dressed don't get sexually assaulted or don't, you know, get attacked or have terrible things happen. But my, my ratio of bullshit has decreased. Yeah. I've had a, a similar not so much with dress, but with my hair. I mean, as you know, I, I shaved my head. Uh, mm-hmm. Now it's been like well, 11, 10 months or so. I guess less than that. Nine or 10 months. Yeah. But before that, um, like I, for most of my life, have always had like very long hair. And, you know, I'm just thinking back to how I used to dress in college. I remember like I used to get a kick out of wearing really low cut tops to this one class because it made my teacher so visibly uncomfortable. And I just really enjoyed that to then going to this place where it was like, 
I don't know, I don't even remember like what kind of began my impulse to just keep shortening my hair. But as I would like get another haircut and like go a little bit shorter and like a little bit more of this or that, I'd come out of the appointment and um, feeling like the, uh, the highest level of androgyny that I had ever experienced. And it felt both yeah. empowering to, um, you know, in that moment, like be able to ride this line between genders and, and expectations and stereotypes. But I also recognized that um, it was very much like a challenge, you know, like, um, yeah. I mean, like catcalling harassment, like that, that exists no matter how you dress or how you look, whatever, which is just yes. sad in its own fact. But it was really like, oh, you know, like you want to make me into this sexual object? Like, well, how about now? Like, you know, like really making yeah. it a kind of case for like, well, put your money where your mouth is. Like now that I haven't made it so easy for you by looking this stereotypical, like sexual being role, you know, it just kind of yeah. like, it, yeah, it was like wanting to make people work a little harder. But then like, as I've kind of taken that to the extreme and the sense of like completely shaving all of my hair off and then later finding out like there's an entire world out there about like fetishizing women with shaved heads <laughs> and it's just been yeah. really surprising like the things that have kind of popped out of the woodwork in response to that I mean it's still like so much less than it was when I walked down the street with with long hair like it's it's still so different but um and it just it's yeah I mean I wonder, I want, I should get a man on to talk about this kind of angle. Cause I just, this seems like a uniquely feminine experience, like having so much, um, they're just being such an impact to your appearance. It just, my impression as a woman is like, it just doesn't seem to be the case for guys, but I mean, I'm sure they do. Like you were saying with this union worker and his, his ladies panties under his, his uniform is like, you know, they're dealing with it in a little different way. I guess they probably don't have as much active verbal interaction on a daily basis, but it's still that very yeah. unspoken expectation and unspoken, you know, treatment and, and, you know, et cetera. So when I was a teenager, very young teenager, uh, I was 13 years old. I was attacked, um, by a, a bullying and my response to that was to gain a ton of weight dress in men's clothing and I cut off all my hair yeah and I had like you know I was 13 years old and my head was shaved to the skin um and that was my response to um my rape and so I I think that that is Unfortunately, that was my physical, natural response to being violated was to make it so I felt safe, so no one would sexualize me. Right. Um, and physically feeling safer at maybe I was closer to 200 pounds, you know, than I was to 150. And, you know, like boys' janko jeans and you know, big shirts and being like, do not sexualize me, do not sexualize me. Uh, and having to come to terms as going to older um, with, okay, so then the, the, op, 
opposite reaction was I lost a bunch of weight. I was sort of thinner and I dressed hypersexually and being like, I control this now. This is mine. I control this. Um, and the reality for me was I didn't feel comfortable that way. Um, and I didn't feel safe that way. And so I had to find this weird middle ground of, um, minimizing the, the sex appeal on some things to maximize my feeling of comfortability and safety. And listen, like if you're super turned on by a 30 year old woman who looks like Miss Frizzle, who, <laughs> you know, dresses like a fucking school teacher, then, okay, I'm your type, but, um, <laughs> I'm just trying to like get through my day. Uh, and my, all of my behaviors are just for the most part focused on let's be physically safe above all things. And my, my, my amygdala or whatever it is freaks out less if I'm covered up and, you know, behaving in certain ways for better or worse. Yeah. So when you were rocking those Jenko jeans and that you were heavier and, you know, trying to unsexualize yourself on the outside, I imagine you were probably still hit on though, right? Or no? I probably wasn't. I, I really did everything in my power to, um, just be as grotesque as possible. Hmm. And, and I was, you know, I was, I was, um, I was out, like, out there on the, like, sort of freaking out PTSD spectrum of what is happening. Because at, at this point, I I didn't realize what had happened to me. I didn't have words for it. I didn't know I was raped. I had no, like, there was just no language around it. And so it was just, like, trying to um, just get as ugly as I felt. Yeah. And, um I don't, I don't have really good, clear memories of that time. I'm going to say just the nature of the world. Yes, I probably was hit on, but I, I don't have any clear memories of it, to be honest. Right. Well, we are coming up. We're just shy of an hour, but I'm, is there anything, any points that have come up that you want to explore more or like any other topics that you want to get in there? Like what? Um, I don't know. I don't think there's anything we haven't missed, uh, or that needs to be said. Um, I'm just gonna, hmm, give myself a second. Yeah, I think we've kind of, like, covered a broad range of what modesty has, like, sort of the evolution of it in my personal story and then how it plays out in my current life um yeah i'm i'm cool are you i'm cool (laughs) i think in the future i might um i'm there's been a you know i've written some pieces about consent and there have been a couple of people that have um other women who have approached me about kind of exploring that so um just for future planning would you be interested in doing maybe like a a group interview just to have like a conversation about experience with consent and assault and all of that good fun stuff we get to experience (laughs) 
absolutely. Great. Um, Just speaking of consent specifically, I would really love to talk about um, Louis C.K. when it comes to consent. Um, Because I am a person that is physically attracted to Louis C.K. I'm also attracted to his money, let's be honest. But... um, (laughs) Um, I find him very funny. I find him very attractive. And um, the revelations about him this year and what it means about consent and um, my disappointment around, I would have been a person that two years ago would have been like, yes, I will consent to you jacking off in front of me, hot, rich man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I'll act surprised and like I don't want you to. That's what gets you off. Um, and so I, I've i been thinking a lot about that recently because I went back and I looked, and I think there's a tweet I made from, like, 2016 being like, what does it say about me that I'm super attracted to Louis C.K. and Patton Oswald? And I like sort of dirty fucking rich dudes of a certain caliber um that are funny yeah and uh i would love to have that conversation around consent and just i don't know it feels very in your wheelhouse i agree i think it would be a good conversation i I, yeah i uh like even just with this last guy you know it's like um so I, I went through a, a stealthing incident, which, um, you know, like the uh, unconsented condom removal and dick reinsertion thing, uh, you know, and I, the guys in my friend circle, you know, they're like, well, you're not going to sleep with him again, right? Like, and I, I mean, I'm not going to sleep yeah. with him again, because that is like such a deal breaker. But I have to admit, there's part of me that it, it wasn't appealing that he did that, that didn't make him more attractive, but it was like, you know, like where do those lines exist between how a person is? And like, it wasn't something that this person did hurtfully or intentionally. Like it was clearly a gap in the person's knowledge, not to justify or, you know, excuse the behavior, but it was like, you know, I mean, there's so many artists and people that make things that are fantastic that are, you know, wife beaters or tax cheaters or, you know, sexual assaulters or whatever. It's like, where, how, you know, like, how much does one thing have to affect the other? And like, just because something has happened also, it doesn't mean that, you know, any sexual attraction you had for that person then just automatically disappears like it goes somewhere you know so there was a part of me that was like yeah it was like well he did have a really great dick like if there was some way I could have like completely disassociated his person like well it's also when I was thinking about it I was thinking about the fact that like hey if it had happened in the circumstance of um I'm going to do this. How do you feel about this? How can we role play this? So this works for me. I'm into this thing. That's a very different conversation than um, taking away my like ability to choose in a situation. Yeah. Um, Cause like, listen, any woman that's had, or any person that has had mediocre sex, they're a decent actress. Um, (laughs) So I can act surprised by you, you know, taking off a condom when, you know, 
I don't expect it. Like, oh my, you know, if that's what we negotiate beforehand. Um, And I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about, like, I really love certain things, but I don't approve of the person. Yeah. 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 I just, I mean, that's a lot of what the kind of motivation to do this project is like, like it's sex communication, not just because it's how like we're audibly communicating during sex, but also the conversations around it. But also I think an opportunity to look at conversations specifically surrounding consent and recognizing the potential for like really filthy, um, uh, like provocative and titillating results from that, you know, like I, I think about, I don't know. It just, to me, I find it really hyper attractive to like be super explicit and specific and like, this is what I want to do to you, or this is what we're going to do. And like communicate that in actual verbal language instead of just, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) one of the most sexy things I think my partner ever has done was the first time he touched me he asked for consent um and the way he asked me if he could kiss me was like the sexiest most like damn boy sort of moment (laughs) where I was like holy shit like what the hell um and even the conversation of like I, we had a very lengthy conversation before we even got, you know, to a a place where we were like worried about, um, things as a couple, we had like a very lengthy conversation about protection. And it was like, that was really hot. Like that was really, (laughs) really hot. Um, and like we were in different States, I think when we had that conversation. Mm. So, you know, it was, um, anyway, I think the point is, is that <laughs> there's some corny saying, um, consent is sexy. And I think what it really should be is that communication is sexy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So many conversations to be had. Well, I really appreciate you, your willingness to be a part of this and to talk so openly and, um, and also to follow up with, with additional, um, topics and conversations. So thank you so much, Lee. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd love to talk to you again sometime. Great. I'm going to take you up on that. (laughs) All right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm going to hit stop now. All right. Bye. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sex Communication. Did you like it? I hope so. If you did, please subscribe. This is a brand new venture for me, and I'm learning everything as I go. Your support would mean a lot. If you'd like to know more about this episode or how you can be a part of the podcast, visit graphicpaint.com slash sexpodcast for details. You'll also find additional episodes, background on this project, contact information, and tips for submitting audio files. I'm looking for more people to interview, homemade recordings of sexual activity, and audio production assistance. If any of this interests you, please reach out. It's my goal with this podcast to bring some filth to your ears, change the conversations around sex, change some perspectives, and maybe even change the world. I hope you'll join me.